0: Like honestly, I, I approached this this sermon. My wife was reading uh, the scripture, and we we're looking at this section of scripture, and we we're saying, "Like, where is where is Matt going to go with this?" Like, this feels like a really tough sermon, uh, and and I was left with something really beautiful. Um, and so, I'm hoping that uh, if you guys are cool with it, we can uh, go through uh, just maybe maybe a little bit of a recap, go through and uh, talk about some of the uh, the high points, and and let's put this teaching, and apply it to our lives.
1: I think a lot of Luke has felt like that. Like you're talking about like having the uncomfortable conversations that maybe some people shy away from.
2: Uh, yeah, I, I would say I'm still struggling with a sermon I gave. I don't know even know how long it goes, but the, the Don't Fear, Death Fear God sermon. I'm still struggling with it, and I gave the sermon. So I feel like Luke is just digging into me in ways I never thought possible.
0: It's a pretty sweet spot uh, to be, like, like dismantled. And I know that that sounds funny, but, like, if you imagine, like, uh, I don't know, this is just something that's just coming to me, like, You've got your Lego set, and, and you put it all together, and it does not look the way it does on the box, right? And so the necessary part of it to be put together as it should be is is kind of a dismantling. You're taking all the bricks apart, and now I feel, honestly, I feel this way over the last couple of months. Like, I'm now just a pile of Legos, and I'm kind of handing myself over to God and letting him put me together. Uh, it's kind of the sweet part of, of this dismantling process. So,
1: I think when you're in the dismantling process, it feels... Maybe less sweet, but.
0: So, if we're going to start right in uh, Luke 13, it begins with a pretty interesting discussion. Uh, that that this is a pretty common issue, I think. Uh, that people have this position of uh, wh- those people seem to be receiving a judgment because of their sin, right? It's like a, uh, let's let's look at the problems with the world starting with other people. Uh, and, you know, gave specific examples of the tower that fell on some people and the other one, it's slipping my mind right now. But uh, yeah, just this common issue of, uh, you know, the problem with other people's sin.
1: Or you could listen to a sermon like that and think, oh, I wish that so-and-so could hear that one. And really, you are the one <laughs> that needs to hear it.
2: Yeah, actually, we've been having some conversations as elders uh, recently just about that idea of There's just certain sins that come up. I think uh, here soon we're probably going to talk about pornography a little bit more, things like that. And we often tend to look at like people in the church that maybe are struggling with pornography or addiction of some sort or uh, alcoholism, things like that, and we tend to think, well, I mean, nobody says it this way, but I think – underneath it all, maybe we are kind of saying like, well, at least I don't struggle with that. Or maybe you do, and you feel an incredible amount of shame because you feel like your sin is so much worse than everybody else's in the room. And I've heard from multiple people uh, in our congregation that would come and just say, well, like, yeah, but I feel like what I'm going through, you know, is is much worse, and I don't even know if I belong here. I've, I've heard that many times from people, which breaks my heart, honestly.
0: Yeah, it's... Uh it is all of our issue right and and what i love about this right in the beginning is is okay everyone here that's here in in the church uh in case you were thinking that Jesus was about to talk about sinful people, he says directly to them, and, and I felt directly to me, uh, okay, unless you repent, you will likewise perish, right? And so he's saying, like, okay, let's include everybody in this conversation because it is an everyone problem. Addiction, uh, hurts, hang-ups, uh, you know, uh, habits, uh, we all have them right? These are all of our issues. This isn't their problem. This is all of our problem, collective.
1: That was actually my seven-year-old's takeaway from the sermon. She sat in and listened, and that's what she said, that you don't get to look at it and say, they are the sinners, because we all are, which, you know, people struggle. I thought we were not doing this.
2: (laughs) Are you serious right now?
1: (laughs) Did we not make a deal?
2: Did you guys, (laughs) I thought I'd make you guys some, an espresso. We, We talked about this, Brandon. Uh,
0: I'll put it away. You want an espresso? Look, I promise it won't be distracting. Uh, I'm just gonna make a quick, uh,
2: quick espresso. Um. Anyways, yeah. In in thinking about that, um, I mean to just from my personal take from the sermon and just something I'm really honestly struggling with. I haven't even talked about this with you guys. Is I, I mentioned a little bit, but that idea of of being owned, like. <clears throat> it was really hard to get to the rest of the sermon, um, and hear the rest of the sermon, because that kept, um, coming back to my mind, uh, do I want to be owned? Matt said that, and I thought it was just a really bold statement that, that I think the passage does say, um, that, that there's this authority, like you, you see yourself, who are you in this, this story? You are owned by the, the, the owner of the, the land, and that's us. And, um, I think, culturally that's really hard to hear i think where we're at as a culture i think nobody likes to think about the fact that we're owned and i had to ask myself honestly do i do i feel owned do i want to be owned did you guys struggle with that at all
1: it's a follow-up i think to the conversation that we had about authority right like you don't want someone to have authority over you and then you definitely don't want to be owned but that it's actually meant to be it's meant to be a comfort
2: it takes it a step further though right like it's not just that there's somebody that has authority over us, but the reason they have authority, the type of authority they have, is ownership. I don't know. that I'm really struggling with that thought process, honestly. Like it was really hard to think about the sermon just because I kept going, really honestly, asking myself that.
0: It is the exact reason I ran hard from God. Okay, so so uh, throughout uh, my teenage life. Uh, my parents are telling me God loves me. He has a plan for my life, and that was so repulsive to me—to uh, think that my life was not my own. I wanted to be my own person, and so I ran hard from God. And often, my sin was me trying to prove that I was my own, right, and and that God did not own me. And I ran, I ran hard from God. And so that was that was significantly challenging idea to think of of god owning my life uh but it's come to be the thing that gives me the greatest comfort now because now it doesn't depend on me like i'm his he made me like um like i sleep so well at night because i'm owned
2: by god um
0: that's it's it's just a been a crazy journey
2: oh yeah i just i've i've been thinking about um that that idea of being owned, and I, the the thing that I'm I'm challenged with is that I, I feel like inside me I feel like there is this resistance towards being owned. But at the same time, when you, when I look around at how I live my life, at the things I do, the things I find value in, um, I I do feel owned. I feel owned by something. I feel owned by my possessions. You know, I feel owned by the things that cause me stress right now. Um, the, there's just issues in my life that I feel like have me. And I keep thinking about if I, you uh, know, it goes back to Brandon, your, your sermon a few weeks back, just that like, if I only had this, if I only, if I only, and it does feel like I'm possessed by something, um, which is an interesting term, possessed, right? Uh, and I think that this passage deals with that. Like, like there is a reality that maybe none of us want to face and it's that we are possessed by something. We are owned by something. Um, and I guess the question is, is what and what does it do for you? Um, that's kind of what I'm thinking about.
0: I think I think we probably could spend a little bit more time uh, talking about um, like why we struggle with with this kind of ownership uh, the God God owning us or being in this kind of sovereign control of our lives um, but I, I really want to get to uh, one one point in particular that that uh, uh, that, that Matt made, and this might have been what caused uh, some, some tears for you. I don't know, you're gonna have to enlighten us in that. But um, this idea that, that Jesus is, is at work in us, uh, m- maybe standing between us and God. Uh, preventing us from being cut off because we're not bearing fruit, uh, and maybe we need to kind of provide some context for this conversation, but um, this idea of Jesus working the soil. Um, I don't know. Do You guys probably have some thoughts about that.
1: I loved how and he used the word advocate, um, which we are reading a book where it really talks about Jesus advocating for you, and I think what sticks out to me is that Jesus is advocating for us without us even asking for it. He is advocating for us, like, to the Father in areas that we are struggling, and I think that's kind of how he talked about it, you know, so this tree is not bearing fruit, and so the vine dresser steps into the owner and says, hold on, hold on, give me more time, and I think that that feels so comforting, right, that we are not going to bear fruit on our own, first of all, and that Sometimes it takes time, and it's not in our control because we aren't the owner. We're a tree on land that we don't own.
0: So the idea that, that in this parable uh, that Jesus is explaining, he's explaining the, the, the character of God and the character of, of Jesus, God being the, the owner of the field, Jesus being the vine dresser, and, and a tree not producing fruit— right, uh, w- that will be cut off uh, because it is not producing fruit, right? And, and this is uh, meant to be uh, a picture of, of what it is between us and God.
2: I think the passage really speaks to something that we've been talking about a lot as a staff and as an eldership and as a church lately, in that I think there is sort of this guilt and shame that we all feel about our lives, about the fruit that we're producing, about the work that we do, about where we find value. I think this passage addresses that. I think it talks about, um, a a process in which we all must go through an an understanding of who we are, um, and an understanding of what we do and how it matters. And I think for many of us, the problem is, is that we look at a passage like this and, and it looks really harsh and we tend to feel that way about God. We tend to feel that way about, um, the God that knows us, the God that loves us. He tends to be uh, an owner who, who wants to produce fruit out of us. And if we don't produce fruit, we're going to be cut off. And so when you look at that and you kind of read this passage, that's what you think is like, uh, what must I do then? Like, how do I produce the fruit? Um, and I think that that was the, the really, the part that you were talking about, Brandon, that was really um, impacted you is, um, you know, and, and we must repent. We, we must understand something. And how does that happen?
1: I think he did such a good job. And this is something that stood out. He said, so what do you do, right? You're the tree and you're not producing fruit. Um, Just the reminder that since you are not like your own, right, you are owned, that you actually can't change your circumstances that you're in, right? He said you, (laughs) that you, where you're planted is where you are, which I feel like you've heard that, right? Bloom where you're planted, but that might not actually be true. You might not actually be blooming. That's, you know, a pretty phrase that people like to put on t-shirts and coffee cups. Um, You can't cause yourself to be good. You can't cause yourself to repent, like, and that is why we have Jesus and why we have the Holy Spirit to convict us of those things, right? That it feels like, oh, okay, what what should I do next? I can put this on a to-do list and that's not it.
0: That is uh, especially good news for me uh, because, I, I mean, if I'm going to dive into this uh, this this analogy, uh, I am sitting there as a tree among trees, uh, and I have I, I have been um, I, I have been trying really hard to produce fruit, and I've been apologizing to God for my lack of fruit, uh, and I have gotten into a desperate situation where I am genuinely fearing being cut off from God because I can see no fruit in my life, and 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 fruit, in this case, is 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 righteousness, like like looking like Jesus. It's it's um, being as God is calling us to be. I could tell that my I was just somebody who was trying to do that, and I was in a desperate spot. I was stuck. Uh, where I was. And and what needed to happen in my life was Jesus needed to start tearing apart the roots of my life. It's tearing apart the things that I was holding on to, the things that uh, I was attached to, like the things that were providing the very support that I was desiring uh, or, or that I had pursued the parts of my life that I had built. And that felt awful, Right, because Jesus is taking away the things that were giving me security in that moment, okay, but it was also the very things that were preventing me from from producing fruit uh, so I, I have so much more to say about that, but I just don't want to I don't want to dominate the time if you guys have uh, additional comments in that regard
2: I uh, know I just I mean it, it, you know it, talking about this leads me to the fact that uh, you know, something Matt said in, in the sermon, um, that the sermon says is, um, and the passage says, is that, that that fertilizer, what you need, what unpacks the soil, right? Like, what we're talking about is what do we do? How do we repent? Um, it's just the gospel, that that's all it is, um, and that seems so simple. And we, we tend to think, like, we know the gospel, and we agree with the gospel, and we would say we believe the gospel. But I think something that Luke is doing, you know, kind of how we started this conversation, is he's, the thing that he's attacking, the thing that he's digging out of us is, do we really believe the gospel? Uh, there are questions here that I've been going through. Um, is Jesus enough? Did his death on the cross fully satisfy my sin? Are my guilt and shame paid for? Do I really believe that? Is is it head knowledge or is it heart knowledge?
1: He used um, the idea of a pickaxe, right? Which um, that is the thing that is breaking up the soil, right? And so that comes out. He was talking about an old John Bunyan sermon, I believe. And he was talking about it... Um, that sometimes that's like your sin and your trials and your sadness. And those are actually the thing that he uses to till up the soil so that you do live like the gospel is true. And that feels uncomfortable, right? Like it feels like a pickaxe digging away at what you thought you were maybe rooted in.
0: Yeah, so in order for me to, I mean, just let's just make this practical. Okay, uh, I'm struggling. I'm looking at my life. I don't need anybody to tell me that I don't look like Jesus, right? Uh, but I, but I see Jesus. I desire to be like him. I can see that he saved me, but I still feel or seem to be kind of fruitless. What is you know the let's let's put some kind of practical. Uh, things to that. Uh, what can I even do as a tree? And that's, I mean, I, it's some of the things that you guys have been saying. Uh, but the reality is that that we do need our our the things that we're rooted in, uh, the things that we're putting our our trust in and our support in to be uh, adjusted. And then what needs to be replaced? What replace that with uh, the gospel? And maybe maybe we can speak to kind of some practicality in that.
1: I think. Part of that, though, is the idea that we say, um, right, so these things that we're rooted in that are false, that's, those are sins, right? And I think we kind of had talked about um, how we wrongly can associate suffering with sins, right? That like these things that are being taken away, all of a sudden it feels like suffering, and we say, oh, well, that's obviously because I sinned, so this is why this is happening to me, even if it's done like out of the kindness of Jesus because he knows what you need. He used John 9, the blind man, and they say, I don't know if we we're going there yet, but, and they say, who sinned, right? This man or his parents, right? This is obviously, and he says, none. He says, so that they might see, you know. And I think that that's hard for me. I have personally struggled with that. I have a daughter who was born with, like, a mild disability that I have nothing to do with. But I have asked that question, did, did I cause this? Are all of my past sins that I feel shame for? Is this what caused this? And it's not, an easy, it's not an easy thing to think about or look at, but that's how I know like, how good God is. Like, I can see how he used that to make her stronger, to bring me closer to him. But in that time, like, it really feels like, what have I done to, you know, to make this happen?
0: So it gives a perspective then on suffering. The first question we ask is, um, God, uh, not necessarily what have I done to cause this, but God, what are you going to do in and through this? And so uh, we, we start to get into the, when in the book of James where it says, we consider it pure joy when we face trials of many kinds. Uh, gives us a new perspective, like even if it is something that I caused it, if this pain is going to cause me to be closer, more dependent on Jesus, to let go of the things that I've put my hope and trust into, and in the future I'm going to be stronger because my roots are in Jesus, yeah, take me through all the pain. Don't stop at just that little bit of dirt. Knock it all out of my life. I want to be firmly rooted in Jesus. Uh, so, so, yeah, get, get all of it out of me. It gives us new perspective about suffering.
2: I think that that we should also be honest and embrace the fact that that's really hard. Uh, And that doesn't just come immediately. And we can quote the scriptures and we can talk about how we should do that. But I think there needs to be a level of openness that we all need to have. Uh, And if you talk about practical, something I've been doing that I would say is really practical advice lately is I've just been a lot more honest with God about where I'm at and a lot more honest with the people around me about where I'm at. And I'm not trying to hide anything. Not that I ever was, like, really trying to hide, but I think subconsciously there were some things about me that I would say, like, I understood the gospel, but I didn't want to say, oh, there's this part of me that doesn't really believe it. And I know you, Liz, and I know what you've gone through in terms of just, like, it didn't just come easy, but you had to talk about with other people, and you had to talk about where you were at and talk honestly about, like, to God even, go to God and say, like, I don't like this. Uh, having honest conversations.
1: It's so hard. We'll just start there. I'm not going to say that it's not, and I don't know that it will ever be easy, because I'm never going I'm never going to understand everything about God. I'm never going to understand, um, which that in itself is kind of hard for people. We want to put everything in a neat little box and understand everything so we can just push it to the side. Um, and I think that it's even hard to kind of talk about, but I think that once you get those things out, they seem scary. Like, God, I'm kind of angry about this. I'm kind of upset about this. But knowing that, A, I can take that to him, and then it goes back to the community thing, right? That's why you are in a community with other people that you can say, this is how I'm feeling, and hearing someone either say, wow, me too, or just be there for you and, A, point you to Jesus, but also just kind of sit with you in that. This world does not give us... I think it's Tim Keller. He's like, there's no place for suffering. Like this, everything about the world is uh, avoid it, get rid of it, ignore it. Um, but that's that's not really like what we're called to. That's like Jesus asks us to <laughs> cast our cares upon him.
0: I appreciate what you said, uh, both of you guys and your contributions in that regard. Um, so there's, there's a practical step. Next time somebody says, how are you doing? Don't say, I'm good. Fine. I'm fine. Uh, say, I'm struggling.
2: Yeah, I mean... Be honest, and I think the the first step to that is honestly being honest with yourself. And I think that comes from digging into some of these questions um, that we've been addressing here today. I think, I think, I think, opening up and asking yourself, do you want to be owned? Why would you want to be owned? Um, do you need to repent? Um, do you need a savior? Um, do you have hard soil? Those kinds of questions. I mean, and really thinking about those things um, and letting that, letting the gospel, like, do I have a necessity for the gospel? Is it penetrating every? Um, thing that you're you're holding on to, uh, yeah.
0: I'm excited for you guys to try this espresso. But before, uh, no, it's this is this is really good. I I promise that you're going to enjoy this.
2: Uh, I spit and, the last one you it, made it, me out of my mouth it, <laughs> it, immediately. Well, so. admittedly,
0: yeah, uh, I, I made a little mistake on that one, but.